let me pray for us and let's get going for the day. Father, thanks so much for your goodness, for your love. Thanks for the good plans that you have in store for us, Lord. And I pray that you would just use this time, that you would speak to us individually and that you would grow us in our faith as we move forward in 2016. God, we love you. We need you. We offer this time and ourselves to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, I've shared with a, a few of you before um, uh, this true story, but I love it, so I'm sharing it again. And so uh, almost 30 years ago now, long before the movie Up was even a thing or a thought, a 33-year-old truck driver named Larry Walters made national news. Uh, Larry had a habit of of spending his weekends in uh, his L.A. backyard just south of LAX International Airport, drinking beer and eating peanut butter sandwiches. This is the life he lived, right? He'd sit in his favorite lawn chair, <coughs> staring at the houses around him in the subdivision where he lived, and just sat there, real exciting kind of life. Well, one day, out of you know pure uh, boredom, it sort of prompted him to try something different. And so he went out and bought some balloons and a tank of helium. He figured on uh, tying the balloons to his lawn chair, filling them up with helium, and floating up for an aerial sort of view in the neighborhood. He figured maybe he'd go up 100 feet in the air or something like that. But just in case, he thought, you know what, I've got a plan. I'm going to bring my BB gun so that if I go up too high, I'll, I'll shoot out some balloons, you know, to kind of, uh, you know, kind of leave me where I want to be and uh, help me then to descend. He planned to regulate his altitude that way. You know, I'm not sure how much alcohol he had at this point before he came up with the plan, but it seems like maybe a fair amount, right? But, but anyway, Larry Walters of L.A. went out. He bought 45, not just regular balloons, but huge weather balloons and an enormous tank of helium and some rope. First, he secured his lawn chair to the ground. Then he filled the balloon, the balloons with helium. One by one, he'd take them over and tie them to his lawn chair. True story. He'd instructed his neighbors uh, to cut the ropes, securing the chair when he was ready. And so he got another six-pack, a couple peanut butter sandwiches, and his BB gun, sat down in his lawn chair and said, let's go, he yelled. And his neighbors cut the ropes, and they were off. But he didn't go up 100 feet like he thought. He didn't go up 1,000 feet. He went up 16,000 feet straight into the uh, landing pattern of the LAX airport. <laughs> he shot straight up in the air, and his BB gun was pretty much useless because he was using both hands to hang on for dear life, right, as he shot up into the air. He zoomed, like I said, into the, the landing pattern, and the pilot of an approaching DC-10 reported that he just had passed a man in his lawn chair at 16,000 feet. I mean, can you imagine? The tower ordered him to, to, uh, to come in for sort of an evaluation upon landing, but it turned out to be true. They shut down the, uh, the airport, diverted all landing and takeoff to LAX uh, while they played tag with his fellow in his lawn chair at 16,000 feet. When they finally got him down, as you can imagine, all the news agencies around were there asking him questions, filming him. Uh, that's a picture of he got interviewed in all the, all the shows. It was a major event. Were you scared, one reporter asked him, to which he, he replied, no, not really. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> Are you going to do it again? No, he said quickly. Uh, what in the world made you do it in the first place? Larry thought for a moment. He said, well, you can't just sit there. <laughs> <laughs> that was his answer. Well, we're on week number two of a series that we're doing here at Ignite called Cultivate, Strengthen Your Faith in 2016. And throughout this series, we're doing everything we can possibly do to encourage you to not just sit there, right, in 2016, but to help, but we're helping you to develop and implement a spiritual growth plan to do something, to, to, to grow and come alive spiritually this year and become more and more of who God has intended for you to be. 
Last week, we sort of introed the series and talked about this whole idea of spiritual training uh, as a way of life. We talked about putting in place spiritual practices and ruts that will help lead you towards greater levels of Christ-likeness, towards greater levels of freedom, towards experiencing God's love more and his peace more and his life more in your life to help you really grow in your faith. Kind of the foundational scripture for this whole series comes from 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 8 that says this. It says, train yourself to be godly, right? For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Train yourself. It's It's a command that God gives us. Train yourself spiritually. Train yourself to become more and more like God. Well, today is going to be a little bit less like a message and a little bit more like a spiritual growth workshop for today. So I hope you're okay with that. But today, I really do want to help you develop a personalized spiritual growth plan for the upcoming year. If you take out uh, your programs uh, that Tina just referred you to, there's a little card in there. I want you to take it out. We're going to actually use this uh, throughout the service today, and I'd encourage you to to fully participate, to sort of just go with me uh, on this whole journey, okay? Pretty quickly, I want us to start out just identifying where you're at spiritually, what kind of what category you would place yourself in. And so I'm going to kind of walk through seven different categories of spiritual growth or spiritual development. You can divide spiritual growth up in, into a ton of different ways. Uh, this one is just based sort of on observation. It's uh, kind of a standard, fairly normal spiritual journey. And so we're going to start on the left and sort of work our way across um, one piece at a time. As we go through these, though, each category, I'm going I'm to try and give a little description and a little bit of a picture of what, th- what this category is like. And I want you to be asking the question in each category, is that me? Is, does that describe where I'm at spiritually? Does that describe the category that I would find myself? And I would encourage you just to be as honest as you can be, right? Don't, I don't want you to evaluate where you'd like to be or where you, you wish you were, but just to take an honest look at this, I think, is where I'm at in my spiritual life with God. Sound fair? Okay, that was so weak. You guys all need to respond, right? (laughs) Does that sound fair? Good, thank you. All right, we're going to start out on the left then. The first category uh, I've kind of titled not interested, right? This is uh, for those that aren't particularly interested in spiritual things. It's supposed to be a picture of a person with their hand out like, stop, right? I don't want to hear about or talk about this God stuff with you. People in this group are typically skeptical. They aren't really sure about this God thing. And to be honest, they're not really sure about anybody who fully buys into this whole God thing anyway. They often have lots of misconceptions about Christianity, including the belief that you've got to check your brain at the door in order to really believe that this stuff is true. Of any of the categories, I've got to say this particular category, this first category, this not interested, is kind of the hardest one to talk about. Because, and here's why, because By definition, if you're in this category, you're probably the least likely to grow or change of any of the categories we're going to be talking about today. Because if you fit into this category, you've got sort of a bias, sort of a closed off nature to spiritual things, sort of a haste. Keep that stuff to yourself. I'm smarter than that. I'm better than that. But if I can't, I'm just going to challenge you on a couple things. If If you would identify with this, I want you to, I want to push on it for just a minute. First of all, I have to say, I, I think a lot of times people that fall into this category uh, sort of would think of themselves as being uh, fairly smart, uh, uh, intellectually uh, sort of enlightened a little bit because they don't really buy into this God stuff. However, I don't know that I've ever met somebody 
that's honestly taken a look at all the evidence on both sides of the equation and have come to that conclusion. Typically, people come to that conclusion after being after having uh, one side presented, right? After, after having somebody say, okay, here's all the reasons you've gotta be an idiot to believe in God. People hear that and they think, well, I don't wanna be an idiot and make a decision, therefore, that they're, they're just not gonna buy into this God stuff. Very rarely will you see somebody that has actually looked at both sides and thought through the issues on every side and said, hey, is there evidence to support one way or the other uh, in this and made a decision from there? Occasionally, you'll, you'll meet somebody else that's come to that conclusion based on zero evidence, but just based on the fact that they've gotten burnt by a Christ follower at some point in their past. I had a, a, a close family member that went to Bradley, uh, for instance, and became an atheist sitting in the classroom there. They, they uh, had a professor that sat there and presented basically one side of the evidence. And this family member thought, well, I'm a well-educated, I'm a rational human being, I'm no idiot, and therefore I'm not gonna buy into all this God hocus pocus. And can I just suggest to you again, if you fall in this category, like I did to that family, me that family member, that this issue, this, this stuff that we're talking about today, this, this spiritual life, this issue of faith in Jesus Christ is the most significant decision you will ever make in your life, bar none. If the claims of Christ are true, then your entire eternity hinges on your openness to who Christ is. I mean, it's a, it's a huge deal. And my, my pushback to you would be, don't you think it's at least worth opening yourself up intellectually and examining the evidence on both sides of, of this decision and making a thoughtful decision for yourself. Don't you think it's at least worth the time to do that? If you would find yourself in this category, I'd say, man, I would encourage you to, to, to do a little searching for yourself. Don't just take what you've been told at face value. There's evidence. There's significant things. I've got a book on the back table. In fact, I've got a bunch of them. We'll talk about them later. But there's one book in particular called The Case for Christ that was written by an atheist who eventually became a Christ follower, who eventually became a pastor because he used his training in law and journalism to do a full-on search to investigate the claims of Christ. He started out trying to prove Christianity wrong. And in, in so doing, came to a point where he said, there's so much evidence that exists that, that Jesus is who he says he is, that he was an actual historical person, that he did miracles, that he died and rose again. There's so much evidence that he finally came to a point and said, I, I, I have to believe. I have to put, it would take more faith for me not to believe than to respond to the evidence. He goes through a very thoughtful account of the, the study that he did. I'd encourage you to pick that book up and read it. If you haven't, uh, I would encourage you to do so. Again, that would be a way that you could sort of grow or take a step in your journey of faith, and I would encourage you very much to do so. In the Bible, there's a, a disciple, a follower of Christ named uh, Thomas, who kind of gets a bad rap and is sometimes called Doubting. Doubting Thomas, right? But he's a great example of somebody that, that would fall into this kind of category. After Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to some of his disciples, and when Thomas heard about this, he said basically, unless I see for myself, unless I, I see the nail holes and touch the, the place where he was spirit in his side, I will not believe, he says. But a week later, Jesus appeared to Thomas and some, some others and said to Thomas basically, come here, Thomas. 
come and see the nails holes, come and reach your hand in my side. And he says, stop doubting and believe. And I have to say, I find this interaction with Jesus so encouraging, and let me tell you why. Because Jesus does not put the smack down on Thomas for questioning. He doesn't, he doesn't uh, shun him or, you know, give him the finger, you know, not that kind of finger, but, you know, like the, the scolding finger. He doesn't look down his nose. He doesn't put the smack down on him. Yeah, I know. He doesn't put the smack down on him uh, for, for doubting or for asking questions. But what does he do? What does he do? He actually shows, he gives him the evidence that Thomas needs. He reveals himself. He shows himself to Thomas. He says, Thomas, come here. Let me show you. I'm here. I'm real. This is true. And then he, he makes this comment at the end. He says, stop doubting and believe. I have to say, there is nothing wrong whatsoever with being a skeptic. Nothing wrong with being in this point on your spiritual journey. It's not a bad place to be, but it's not a good destination. It's not a good place to be indefinitely. You don't want to just stall out there forever. You want to take a step. You want to grow. You want to check this stuff out for yourself. And if, if you do, there will come a point at which... Uh, God will reveal himself to you. He'll show himself to you. He'll give you some of the evidence that you need. And then he'll say, like he said to Thomas, okay, now it's time. I've shown myself to you. Stop doubting and believe. It's the first category. So let's go on. Second category is this, curiously seeking. And I would say this is where most of our country is probably at these days. People in this category are very open to spiritual things. They probably believe in God, but wonder maybe if all religions don't basically lead to the same place. They often form their spiritual beliefs from friends, from talk shows, from pop culture, a little bit of here, a little bit of there. I call it Oprah spirituality, right? A little bit of this and a little bit of that. They collect religious ideas from what they hear and see and read in magazines or in Facebook or with friends. But that's about it. They love to talk about spiritual things but haven't really thought it all the way through oftentimes. They don't order their lives around any one God. They don't really follow God's commands or truth as if they really buy into that whole concept in the first place. But most basically just try to be good people. They try to live their lives as they see fit, and they think about God from time to time. They consider themselves spiritual in that sense. It's a second category. Third one is this, assertively seeking. At some point for many of us, as we have uh, been in the curiously seeking sort of category, something happens and a switch goes on and we move from just being curious spiritually to sort of a full-on search. Maybe we get up close and personal to, a, to a, a Christ follower that we see something different in and we think, I have got to figure out what's going on in them. Maybe there's somebody around us who we've seen their lives get transformed by Jesus, and, uh, and we think, man, I've got I've to check this out for myself. Maybe there's some sort of encounter that you have or this person has with God uh, themselves, and they start to recognize his work in them and around them, and they start checking things out. Maybe God uses pain. This is a, a pretty common one, right? You start going through a painful season or a lonely season or whatever, and uh, suddenly you start saying, man, I need, there's got to be more to life than this. I'm looking and I'm longing for purpose and for meaning and for a way to be filled in my soul. Sometimes God uses pain that way and we start searching and we start looking. But for whatever reason, you decide that you are going to check this Jesus stuff out for yourself and see if it's real. 
people in this category are taking action, right? Trying to find answers. They may start going to church. They might start going to a Bible study or a growth group. They might start talking to friends about this, asking questions, reading books. They are going to find out the truth. There's sort of a spiritual hunger in them that's driving them to investigate Christianity further. I remember being 18 years old and uh, meeting the Christ follower, the first Christ follower that I ever knew at this point. And uh, man, there was something different about her. Her name was, was Jenny. We called her Jenny. And uh, and man, there was something about the kind of life she was living. Something about her soul. Something about even just the way that she loved God and she loved other people. There was a peace about her and a fullness about her. And it, for me, man, it just sparked something. I was like, what is that, right? That she has something in her life that I don't have and I'm going to find out what it was. And for me, I mean, she started sharing with us about Jesus, about a God that loved us so much that he would die for us so that we could find life, so that we could... Right, know his presence with us. This kind of stuff, man, it was crazy. And uh, started a full on search. I started uh, joining a Bible study, started reading uh, the New Testament, trying to figure out who is this Jesus guy and is this what it looks like to follow Christ? Is this the byproduct of following Jesus? Started reading through the New Testament, started praying, asking God to show himself to me. And within a few, a few months, I was ready to take the next step. And that takes us to the fourth category, the faith commitment. At some point, enough seeking has been done. You've asked your questions. You've found some answers. You've checked out Jesus enough, and you've experienced enough of him to know that this is where life is at. People in this category recognize their own sin, their own separation from God, their own emptiness even. And they know that they are in need of more. They're in need of saving. People in this category have cried out for Jesus, right? They have put their trust in him, the Savior, and asked him to come and forgive them and make them new. And they've made an intentional decision to turn their life, their decisions, and their will over to Christ. They are now Christ followers. This is biblically what it means to be a Christian, right? Is this category, making a decision, putting your faith and your trust in him and Asking him to, to forgive you for your sins and making a decision to follow him and his path for you. It's the pivotal moment in the spiritual journey. When a person is forgiven, when a person is brought to life with God, when a person is filled with his spirit and is assured of a happily ever after in heaven with God. It's huge. It's the beginning of a new life with God. It starts with a faith commitment. Fifth category experiencing new life, we're calling it. People in this category have put their faith in Christ and are now learning some of the basics of following him, what it looks like to follow and know him. They're understanding more fully the good news, the gospel about Jesus. Their value systems and their lifestyles are starting to change, but they still have a long way to go. They're definitely a work in progress. I was telling some of our leaders, our team leaders yesterday, I totally remember being in this category. Uh, shortly after I had put my faith in Christ, I was really coming to life. I was starting to experience some transformation. But I tell you what, uh, in that era of my life, I, I swore like a sailor. I kid you not. And, uh, and so I had opened my heart and life up to Christ, and yet my mouth did not reflect that. Probably every third or fourth or fifth word was a bad word that was coming out of my mouth. I didn't even know I was doing it. It was just sort of in me at that 
that point. And, uh, and while I was experiencing uh, some transformation at that stage, my mouth had not yet uh, been transformed until a couple of friends, uh, another couple of other Christ followers came and uh, uh, approached me about it. You're growing in your relationship uh, at that point with God. You're experiencing transformation, but you're still very much a word uh, or a work in process. Excuse me. This is one area among many that I still didn't really look very Christian. But every, everything was new to me. Everything was, was full of life and excitement for me in this area. In this era, I was coming to life. I was being transformed one bit at a time. God's word was opened up to me in this, in this season so that every time I read it, I felt like God was speaking to me. I was sharing Christ with all kinds of people that were around me, even though I didn't really have much skill at it. I was just excited, and I wanted everybody to know this God that had so trans, was, was transforming my life. That's what this category is like, right? Lots of new life, lots of hunger and excitement for God. Although you're still pretty young in your faith and there's lots to learn, there's still, there's transformation happening and life change is happening uh, bit by bit in your life. It's the experiencing new life category. I wonder if that's a category maybe that you're in today. Sixth one, next one, growing in community. This is really a maturing stage spiritually. You're learning to grow and experience God more and more through prayer and Bible reading, which is becoming increasingly consistent in your life. And you're putting a lot of it into practice in your life as well. Your life is beginning to look more and more like what a Christ follower's life looks like. You're growing in your relationship with other Christians around you and learning how connecting with other passionate followers of Jesus helps you to grow in your faith. It helps to sharpen you and spur you on and make you more and more like God. It awakens in you a desire to know and love and follow God more. I mean, you love being around others in community. You've grown surprisingly close to a few other Christ followers and are also passionately, who are also passionately following Jesus. You start to realize, though, in this era that not everybody who calls himself a Christ follower is actually following Jesus. You start seeing some, uh, some differences and experiencing some discernment in your own soul. You're learning to recognize God's presence and his leading in your life more and more. And you're starting to discover and use your spiritual gifts in ministry. The zeal of the previous category it matures in the stage into a solid foundation and a faith in God uh, that you're really getting to know and trust and love. And it takes us to the seventh one, the last one, living missionally, I called it. This is what maturity is meant to look like in the Christian life. People in this category are self-feeders. We talked about last week, right? They, they know how to connect with God, and they are doing so. They're, they're experiencing intimacy with God on a daily basis through spiritual disciplines like prayer uh, and Bible reflection and solitude, confessing of their sins and whatnot. But their focus is not just on feeding themselves, but the, in this stage, they are also passionate about helping to feed others. And so they recognize their role and their identity as, as a member and a part of a broader church and also their identity as a missionary in our culture, wherever they are. And therefore, they are sharing their faith effectively and regularly with others. They're mentoring, excuse me, mentoring and discipling other younger uh, Christ followers. They're, they're giving generously and tithing to their church as well as other things. They're using their spiritual gifts faithfully. They're serving and helping those that are poor or in need regularly and on and on and on. They've allowed this relationship with Jesus to really permeate every part of their lives, and it's easy to see. Their lives are being lived fully for him. 
He is clearly the driving force in their lives, in their homes, in their jobs, in their finances, in their ministry, everywhere they go. They clearly love God and love others, and it's easy to see. Now, I've kind of laid this out in a linear sort of fashion, but honestly, every person is unique, and we tend to meander back and forth a little bit. Just because we have, we are, somebody is living missionally doesn't, doesn't mean that they've arrived. We're continually being transformed. There's, there's more and more stuff, ways that God is growing us. We're continually growing in community, following God on the adventure of faith, being transformed in different ways, right? Learning more about God's plans for us and on and on. It's an ongoing journey. But I think most of the time, for most of us, we can identify with at least one of these different categories. At the bottom of, of this sheet that I gave you in red, there's a, there's a couple of boxes. There's one box and a couple of questions on here. The one on the left basically says, where am I at spiritually? And I want you to take just a minute to say, to, to be honest again, and say, where am I? Which one of these categories do I think I'm in? Take just a minute and do that. If you've not yet made a commitment to Christ, you'd be on the left in the left three categories, if, if you've made that commitment to Christ, you're probably in the right uh, four categories, the cross or to the right. So take just a minute. Which one do you resonate with? Where do you think you're at spiritually? Good? Go ahead and write these down. Fill out that sheet. All right, now let me just, everybody pretty clear? We good on that? Have one that you identify with, you resonate with? All right, next question, the next one over to the right. Where do you want to be next January? If you were to identify where you're at now, which category you fall in, where do you want to be next year at this time? Seriously, go ahead, go ahead and just jot that down as well. I mean, obviously our hope would be we, we want you to grow uh, in your walk with God. We want you to know him more, to follow him more, and align your lives with him more. But be honest where do you want to be a year from now? How many of us would say we want to grow in our faith? How many of us would say we want to progress wherever we're at? We want to grow closer to God over the course of the next year. Good. Good, good. Let me just push on that for a second if I can and just say, do you really? Do, you, do, do I really? Do we want to grow? Are we willing to do what it takes to grow? Are we willing to seek him to carve out space and time to grow spiritually? Are we willing to discipline ourselves enough to grow? A couple of quotes that I thought were interesting this week. Chesterton uh, said this. He says, Christianity has not been uh, so much tried and found wanting as it's been found difficult and left untried. Isn't that true? It's not that it's lacking. It's not that, that God's presence isn't available. It's not that we're not able to grow and connect with him in greater and greater and greater ways. It's not that we're not able to experience transformation in his presence in our lives. Too often, it's just that it's, it was a little hard, and we just didn't do it. Do we really want to grow, or is there a barrier of some kind, something that's keeping us from growing, something that makes us not even want to try? Sometimes there's things like busyness or even just a hatred of discipline in our lives that keep us from stepping up and experiencing growth and transformation. Sometimes we just don't want to give up control or sometimes we don't want to, we don't want to do what it takes in terms of accountability in our lives. 
uh, to grow. Sometimes we don't, uh, there's a certain area, uh, maybe like money or like relationships or whatever, that we just don't want to have God's way in. And so we, we keep at a distance and we, we kind of hold back. And we're like, man, I'm not even sure I want to take that next step in my faith with God. And I have to say, as long as there is a barrier like that, we can come up with whatever kind of plan we want, and we probably won't grow. But let me just, let me just mention this. Well, I'll, I'll get there in a second. Rick Warren, one more quote. Rick Warren says this. He says, you're about as close to God as you choose to be. He says, don't blame anybody else. It's what we were talking about last week. Like, who's responsible for your spiritual growth? Who's responsible for your walk with God? Who is it? us, me, right? I'm responsible for me. You're responsible for you in that sense. And it's true. We're about as close to God as we choose to be. It's your choice. Now, that's only true because of Christ, right? It's only true because God desires relationship with us. It's only true because he comes after us, right? James says, uh, says this. He says, you know, come near to God and he'll come near to you. It's true. It's, it's available because of God. Jeremiah 29, 13 and 14, God says this. He says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. It's a promise. He says, when you seek me, God says, you will find me. Do you want to grow? Are you willing to seek him and to pray and to open up his word? Are you allow, will, will you allow him to transform your life and lead you and direct you? Are you willing to walk in relationship with some other Christ followers and allow them to hold you accountable? If so, you will grow. I've got a mentor, uh, kind of coach guy that I, I talk with uh, once or twice a month. And, uh, and he's ruthless at this kind of thing. You have to be careful with your words around him because, and I've realized that I and I think all of us flippantly will throw things out like, oh, I wish I could grow in my faith, right? Oh, I wish I could be closer to God. Oh, I wish I was more disciplined in my Bible reading. Oh, I wish I was, right, this or that or the other thing. Oh, I wish I could read that book. Oh, I'd like to go to that conference. I'd, any time I ever throw something out like that, he'd be like, oh, is it okay if I call you next Tuesday at 2 o'clock? He's putting it in his calendar while he's typing it and ask you how you're doing on that. And I'd be like, um, <laughs> right? I didn't really mean it, right? I was saying it, but I didn't really mean it. There was a barrier. I wasn't willing to pay the price. If I say it these days in his presence, I know I'm going to get a call. I know I'm going to get an email that says, hey, how are you doing on that? It's uncomfortable for us, but let me tell you, you want to know why AA works? You want to know why Weight Watchers works to some degree? There's accountability built in. We, the same is true spiritually. We can grow if we're willing to pay the price, right? We can grow if we're inviting community, if we're inviting accountability into our lives. We, God's desire is for us to grow. God's desire is for us to connect with him more and more, to become more like him, to live out his mission and his purposes and his calling for us on our lives. He's for it. Are we willing to pay the price? One more uh, quick tangent and we'll be right back. But before we dive into how we grow and before we kind of write down our plans, I want to just mention that God tends to grow each one of us differently. He has a unique plan he'll use, that he'll use to really springboard your faith, to move you forward. You've been created by God as a unique person. His plan to grow you will not look exactly like the same, uh, it won't look exactly like the person sitting next to you. You grow things differently. How you would grow an orchid would drown a cactus, 
We've done that. <laughs> How you would feed a, a mouse would starve an elephant, right? They all need light, food, air, and water, but in different amounts, in different conditions, that kind of thing. The key is not to treat every creature alike. It's finding the unique conditions that help you and I to grow. God himself customizes his approach for each person. I ran across this quote from John Ortberg about how they grow. He, he meets them and gives them just what they need. Listen to this. He said, uh, he said, God, right, had Abraham take a walk to grow. He had Elijah take a nap. He had uh, Joshua take a lap, and he had Adam take the rap. <laughs> he gave Moses a 40-year timeout, and he gave David a harp and a dance. He gave Paul a pen and a scroll. He wrestled with Jacob. He argued with Job. He whispered to Elijah. He warned Cain, and he comforted Hagar. He gave Aaron an altar, Miriam a song, Gideon a fleece, Peter a new name, and Elijah a mantle. Jesus was stern with the rich young ruler, tender to the woman caught in adultery, patient with his disciples, blistering with the scribes and religious leaders, gentle with children, and gracious to the criminal on the cross. God never grows two people in the exact same way. God is a handcrafter, not a mass producer. Isn't that a great quote? And it's true, right? The things that, the ways that God will work uh, in my life will be slightly different than the ways he works in your life. The problem I think oftentimes we face when it comes to spiritual growth is that we'll listen to somebody, we'll listen to a pastor, we'll read a book, we'll hear a podcast, we'll read something on Facebook about how somebody's specific personal journey, about how they connect with God, about how God used them and grew them in specific ways. We think, well, I need to do that. I need to be like them. And so we'll kind of adopt whatever it is that their plan is. And we'll try to do that for a while. And sooner or later, we will fail, right? It won't work out. It won't be quite as regular. There'll be guilt. There'll be shame. And eventually, we will quit. You want to know why? Because I'm a unique person, and you're a unique person, and God's plan for you will not look 100% like. It won't be, a, it won't be a, a mirror image of the person sitting next to you. He will customize it for how you're wired. He will customize it for how you need it, right? Having said that, let me just say, there are things that will be the same. Just like we were talking about plants, there, there are similarities. There's water, there's air, there's light, there's all these different things. There are similarities, even though they'll be tweaked and adapted slightly differently for each one of us. If you go back to your sheet here of the gray arrows on the bottom, this is actually um, data. This is uh, empirical research that's been done on what things most often in these categories help people grow to the next category. It's interesting to me. I'm just going to walk through them uh, pretty quickly here. But if you look at the first three categories, uh, the, the, the first three on the left, right, the, the whole not interested, curiously seeking to assertively seeking, uh, spiritual friendships are one of the most important things there. Just talking about your hang-ups, your questions or whatever with a Christ follower is super important part of the journey. Next is open-minded investigation, stuff like reading the case for Christ I mentioned earlier, starting to check out the claims of Jesus for yourself, doing a little research, doing a little digging. Serving in the church is actually super helpful for people progressing in their spiritual journey. Getting to know some others, attending regular worship services in church, being a part of a growth group and checking out Jesus and Christianity there, all super helpful. And starting to read the Bible, this one becomes increasingly important as you move to assertively seeking. These are all things that will likely help you grow, things that would 
would and maybe should be pieces in your spiritual growth plan if you uh, find yourself in those first three categories. For those of you that would consider yourself to be in the assertively seeking category, let me just push on that one for a second because the difference between assertively seeking and a faith commitment, even though there's process in there, the time between them could be five seconds, right? This is the only one, the, the faith commitment is not really a process so much as uh, you've come to the point of, of seeking enough to be convinced that Jesus is who he says he is and you turn your life and your heart towards him. The question that I, I find myself asking is if you are in the assertively seeking category and really for any of these, what is it that's stopping you from taking the next step? What is it? Can you put a finger on it? If you can put a finger on what it is that's keeping you from taking that next step in your journey, then that should be on your growth plan. That should be a significant thing. If for you, and, and I can remember being in this spot, if for you there's some significant questions that you're just wrestling with and you're like, I'm not sure about this, can I just say, I would love to sit down with you and talk through uh, any questions, any things that are, any barriers that exist in your spiritual life right now to keep you moving and growing forward. I'd love to buy you a cup of coffee. I'd love to sit across the table from you. I'm not saying I got all the answers, but I would love to, to enter into the journey with you. Really, that's true for people in any of these categories. We'd love to help you move forward, to get unstuck spiritually and move forward. All right, keep going. Starting at the cross with the faith commitment and going to the right. Prayer, and, uh, prayer sort of, and reflection on the Bible those become the two most important for the next four categories. I shared last week with the but people that open up God's book and read it looking to apply it daily are 300% more likely to grow spiritually than those that don't. I'm not going to tell you what should be on your spiritual growth plan or not, but if regular daily Bible reading isn't a part of your isn't a part of your regular rhythm, isn't a part of your regular training, I would strongly encourage you to, think, to consider doing that in the upcoming year. Man, this book alone could transform your life in ways you can't even imagine. I, I shared last week, we've got an app. Oh, I left my phone back there. But in the app, we've got a bunch of you check, checked it out this week, which is great. We've got a resources thing on our website. We've got a resources tab that's got Bible reading plans. It's got some different articles. I'd encourage you to check those out. If you haven't put that into practice, I'd encourage you to find a devotional or a Bible reading plan that, that uh, fits you like a glove and start it today. So reflecting on the Bible, praying, super important. Church, uh, going to church and serving, also super important. One that's interesting to me is giving becomes increasingly important as you move to the right on the journey. You start seeing it show up and experiencing new life, and it continues on through living missionally. There is a link. We'll talk about this in a few weeks. A significant link. Jesus says this, right? He says, he says uh, there's a link between your heart and and your generosity, the way you give, the way you handle your money and your heart and your relationship with God are inseparable. They are linked. Part of how God will grow us, and I know it's kind of an iffy topic to talk about, but part of how God will grow us and stretch us and teach us to walk by faith and to trust him and to know him and his provision, his presence in our lives is through giving, is through generosity. It's a big deal. Can't miss it. Maybe that needs to be a part. Uh, also, see you see mentoring. You see groups that show up here. Uh, I've, I've talked about already the accountability thing and how significant that is. But let's just look for a second at the last two categories. 
This is where stuff starts moving uh, outward more and more. Discovering and using your spiritual gifts in ministry and in service in the church and to those that are in need in the community are significant. The second Saturday in February, we as a church are offering uh, a seminar. We did it last year about that time as well called Wired. If you don't know how this, what spiritual gifts are or if you don't know what your gifts are or your sweet spot or how God has uniquely designed you to function in ministry and in the life of the church, make a point to be there. It's a three-hour thing we do at the church office. It's fantastic. It's all designed around helping you understand you and what the plans that God has for you, the mission that God has for you. It's exciting stuff. It's great stuff. It'll help you grow in your faith if, if, you're not, uh, if, you, if you don't yet understand uh, how all that stuff works. Another interesting thing, sharing Christ becomes increasingly important. Uh, we'll talk about this the last week in a series as well, but here's the thing. We grow as we serve. We grow as we give. We grow as we share. That's part of the upper, uh, th those last two categories in significant ways. For me, uh, I mean, kind of the way I'm wired up, I'm a doer. I learn by doing. Kinetic learner, even as I write messages, I pace around the office. I have to be moving because I think better. I learn better when I'm moving, when I'm doing stuff. So for me, part of how God grew me, uh, has grown me throughout my spiritual life, starting from the time I was uh, uh, a brand new believer, was by doing stuff, was by serving, was by, was by leading. I can remember, uh, it was by sharing even. I can remember... Uh, I was probably two weeks old as a believer or something. I could go, I can remember going out and sharing with people about Jesus. I didn't know anything, right? But I'd be like, man, follow Jesus is great. You should do it too, you know, kind of thing. People would ask questions. I'd get some of the skeptical responses. Well, what about this? What about that? I didn't know anything. And so what would happen is I'd, I'd have those conversations, and then I'd go back home, and I'd start reading through the Bible until I could find answers. It was part of how I came to life. Right? Part of how I grew significantly was through leading a, a growth group. I was maybe four months old as a believer, and it's part of how God grew me up in significant ways. It's part of how I'm uniquely wired, and so God grew me in a way that was consistent with that. It involved God's word. right? It involved service. It involved uh, sharing, um, but it was adapted to me. It's part of how I grew. How about you? How do you grow best? Flip the card back over for just a second. Look at where you are spiritually, right, on this chart. Look at where you want to be, and look at the arrows at the bottom, sort of the, the consistent ways um, that are the proven ways uh, that will help you grow through those areas. Look at those and see, are any of those things that I need to put into practice in my life? I mean, for almost all of them, like I said, the Bible reading plan, super important. But what about, what about you? What, what kinds of things do you need to involve in your plan? It could be serving. It could be that you need to have regular opportunities to, to feed the homeless, to, to work with people that are hurting and in need. It could be that maybe you need a mentor or a coach to really help you grow and take some of those next steps. We've had some folks this fall in one of our growth groups that said, you know what, my walk with God is never as good as when I'm in a growth group. It spurs me on even in my own personal walk with God. It helps me to want to get into his word more and pray more. You know what, if that's you, if that's part of how God grows you, then be in a growth group. We're starting five of them. Make sure that's a part of your ongoing, right, every quarter that you're plugged in and locked in to a growth group. 
Maybe you need to do that. I've got books on the back table, and I've, I've uh, spent time uh, putting categories on all the books back there. We've got some books that are categories one through three, like the bottom half, that might help answer some questions, might help you take a step on the journey. Check them out. If there's, if there's one that connects with you and you will read it, right? Don't just take it and stick it on your shelf. But if you'll read it, you want to take it, take it. If you want to, uh, some of these are available on our website, or you can go to Amazon and, and uh, click on it, order it yourself. But check them out back there. Find something that's good for you. There's devotionals. There's books that are just good for your soul. There's books that are about some specific areas of your life spiritually that might help, might be an area where you feel like you need to grow this year. Maybe you need to pick up, and part of your plan is to be, I'm going to read three or four books. I'm going to read a book a quarter, or a book a month, or a book every other month, or something that's good for my heart and my soul and my walk with God. We're going to keep working on and tweaking. Oh, I can't forget this. This is so cool. Shelly has helped us do this. Maybe one of the areas uh, for you is you say, you know what? I'm, I'm decent at having my Bible time and my connection time. But as a family, we don't really do that. I don't know how to lead family devotionals. It's not part of our culture. I've never seen it done. Well, we've put together, uh, Shelly has done a great job. She actually helped write uh, curriculum, fun devotionals. They're interactive. They're short, fun, biblically based. Um, and we've got a basket or something that we'll have available every week, whatever you call this. It's got everything you need to start family devotionals. Uh, and we're going to give them out next week. If you like them, you can have them. Is that not cool? It's, I mean, we're, again, the idea is we're going to try and do everything we can to say, how can you guys grow as families? How can you grow as individuals? How can you grow as Christ followers in 2016? I want you to take just a minute now, and on the back, it says, my spiritual growth plan. I'm not suggesting that you have all the answers <laughs> at this point, but I'm saying, are there things that we've talked about today? Are there things that show up on these arrows? Are there other things that you know of that you say, you know what? If I could do one or two or three or four things in the upcoming year, it would revolutionize my life. It would help me to walk closer with Jesus. Take a minute and just sort of jot those things down. I'm going to encourage you to be as specific as you can, right, with some of these goals or some of these plans. Maybe it's, you know what, I need to start having a daily Bible time. I'm going to start a, a, a Bible reading plan and start reading every day. I'm going to take 10, 15 minutes and read it. Now, there's grace. We're not going to be legalists. If you miss a day, you know what you do the next day? You say, oh, I'm sorry, God, and you move on, right? You keep reading. It doesn't have to be a guilt or shame thing, but just to say, I'm going to start these regular rhythms in my life. Maybe you're saying prayer is a thing. It's scary to me. I don't get it. Maybe your plan should be, I'm going to read a couple of books. There's a couple of them back there on the table about prayer, and I'm going to start spending five or ten minutes a day praying, learning to pray with God. Maybe that should be on your list. Maybe you're in the, in the earlier categories, the, the not interested or the early seeking categories. Maybe you need to read the case for Christ. Maybe you, start, maybe you need to start praying sort of like Thomas, God, would you reveal yourself to me? It's a dangerous prayer, and I'll tell you what, one that I think God will answer. Maybe that's the next step for you, but be specific about what you're putting down. All right, take just a minute, jot a couple of those things down, a couple of bullet points at this point, and we'll keep tweaking it as we go. You guys already done that? Are you still doing it? Jot them down. Well, I don't know uh, what it is for you, but I really, my desire is that we would be people that wouldn't just sit there, <laughs> but that we'd do something, right? That we would grow in our faith, that we would come up with a plan, and that we would start living it out 
can I ask you to do one more thing after you jot these things down? One more thing, actually two more things, but we're jotting down one or two or three things uh, in, in terms of our spiritual growth plan. I'm gonna ask you to share it with your wife or husband, boyfriend, girlfriend, share it with them and one other person today. And would you start taking those steps by tomorrow, right? Accountability, like I said, we're about as close to God as we choose to be. If we, if we wanna grow, we can do it. With God's help, he's for it, right? With some accountability, and with some training that we start putting into place day after day after day. God could do amazing things in our lives in 2016. We could come to life. We could experience transformation like we have never known. We could come to know and love and serve and follow God in ways that we never have before. If we would take these things and put them into practice. Let's close in prayer. Father, that's our, our cry, that's our desire. Is we want to be people that are growing, that are growing in our love for you, that have hearts that are wide open. Lord, we don't want to stay stagnant wherever we're at spiritually. Lord, help us to grow this year. Help us to take these steps. Give us wisdom as we seek to develop and write down some of these things in our plan. Give us courage to share it with others. Grow us in our discipline. Help us to put these things into practice. Just even little steps, but help us to move and to do stuff this year that helps us grow in our walk with you. God, we love you. We need your help, certainly, for these things. And we invite you. Come, Lord Jesus. Come and live in us. Come and transform us by your spirit. Come alive in us, in our homes, in our marriages, in our families, in our work environment. ourselves to you afresh in Jesus' name.